Cool. Well, hey, good morning, Stone Creek. So pumped to be with you today as we kick off this new series called The Games That We Play. My name is Joey McLaughlin, and today's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, this is gonna blow your mind. I want for you to think about this for a second. Think about all the games that we play. We play so many games. You saw in that series package, we play vintage games like Rock'em Sock'em Robots. We play board games like Monopoly or Clue. We play arcade games like Pac-Man or Asteroids. Some of us may play strategy games like Settlers of Catan or Settlers of Catan, if you're a game nerd. Um, we play so many net games, right? We play card games like Spades or Go Fish. We play party games like at Little Kids Birthday Parties. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but some of the games we play at Little Kids Birthday Parties are pretty strange. Like uh, Pin the Tail on the Donkey. Like who thought that was a good idea for children? Like I got a great idea. Let's uh, get a little kid, blindfold him, spin him around 10 times, hand him a sharp object, tell him to st stab a horse in the butt. Like, that person shouldn't be trusted with kids, okay? But we play all sorts of games, right? We play uh, uh, strategy games. We play, uh, we play games on our phone and games on our computer. We play games on our Apple TV. Now, even if anybody ever played Quiplash, that's a great game on your Apple TV. If you've never played it, you should. It's tons of fun, tons of laughs, right? Um, we play games in the pool like Sharks and Minnows or Marco Polo. We play games in the casino and tithe all the winnings to the church, right? Um, we play games in our backyard like cornhole. Uh, we play childhood games like hide and seek. We play games to parent our child like the quiet game, okay? Hashtag I got a talkative two-year-old. We play uh, games in the car like I Spy. We play uh, uh, table games like, uh, you know, billiards or air hockey. And if we're keeping it real and you went to Georgia Tech, you probably played a lot of ping pong. And if you went to UGA, you probably played a lot of beer pong, right? Like we play a lot of games, don't we? We're just gaming people, man. Games have kind of taken over the world. And as I got to thinking about this concept, I started to realize that we don't just play the game of life, but many of us are playing games in life, aren't we? Think about it for a second. You play it cool. You play it safe. You play it off like you don't care. Maybe you play the blame game. Maybe you play people Maybe you've played a game of cat and mouse, like playing games in a relationship. I just want y'all to know that like when I was dating, your boy had game, okay? Like I had mad game, like y'all don't even know. Like I was romantic, take you salsa dancing, write you a poem, make all your fairy tale dreams come true, call me Joey Sparks, okay? Like that's, I had game, get it, Joey Sparks, Nicholas Sparks, The Notebook, come on people, I had game. And then I met my, my, my now wife. And uh, she played a game, a game of hard to get. And um, then she played the field. And I just wanted her to quit playing games with my heart, with my heart. Right, Backstreet Boys, any Backstreet Boys? Where are my millennials at? Come on, what I'm talking about. So I know about playing games. People play games in relationships. We play games in life, right? We roll the dice. We play for keeps. We, uh, you know, uh, play for a second chance. We play so many games in life. And what, what I started to realize is that we can play games in life. And if we're not careful, we can, all of this game playing can spill over in our relationship with Jesus. And very quickly, the reality of our relationship with Jesus can just turn into another game we play. 
Very quickly, the reality of our relationship with Jesus can just turn into another game that we play where we just start playing games with ourselves, playing games with sin, playing games with God. And so throughout this series, what we wanted to do is take a really long and hard look at some of the areas of our life where maybe we're just playing games, where maybe we've turned our relationship with Jesus into one giant game of Russian roulette. Feels like an aggressive analogy, I get it, but give me a second. In the game Russian roulette, what do you do? You take something that's really serious, that's not a game, a loaded gun, and you turn it into a game, and it's, it's really dangerous. And likewise, many of us play games with God, and we turn something that's real, something that's serious, Jesus, into something that's just a game. Like many of us, we're just treating our relationship with Jesus like we're playing pretend with some big fairy in the sky. Some of us just play this game of Jesus where we think we can hit pause or where we can pick up the controller and play Christianity again as it is convenient for us. Some of us play the game of Christianity like we play a board game and when there's an inconvenient rule that we don't like and that's not so fun, we just change it, play by house rules. A lot of us, if we're honest, we've been playing games, playing games with God, playing games with ourselves, playing games with sin. And so we wanted to slow it down and look at some of the games that we play to try to leave those games behind and embrace the reality of a relationship with Jesus that's offered to each and every one of us. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, um, but I'm pretty sure that when we get to heaven, there are gonna be some things that we um, think that God is like, like that, that God really cares about that he's probably not gonna be as concerned with. And then there are gonna be these other things that we didn't think were quite so big of a deal to God that he's actually gonna be really passionate about and are actually gonna break his heart. The thing that we're gonna look at today, the issue that we're gonna look at today is an area that I'm confident God's not playing games with. He's not playing games with. I want for you to think for a second, like for you, what is the sin, what is the issue, what is the atrocity that breaks your heart the most? Like what is the evil in the world that burdens you? What is the evil in the world that keeps you up at night and disgusts you? What is it? Maybe it's murder. Maybe it's human trafficking. Maybe it's child abuse of some kind. All of these are dark and evil and just break my heart and they probably break yours too. But now I want for you to think, what do you think breaks God's heart the most? What sin, what evil breaks his heart the most? Biblically speaking, you would have a pretty tough time proving that the sins that tend to break our heart the most would be the ones that break his the most. But biblically speaking, it would be pretty easy for you to prove that the sin that breaks God's heart the most is one that we play games with. It's the sin of pride. Let me prove it to you. Look at the way that God talks about it. Proverbs chapter six, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes or a high view of oneself. So God makes a list. He goes, hey, I'm gonna make a list of the things that I hate the most. At the top, pride. Like we teach our kids, don't hate anything. Problem, God hates pride. He hates it. Hates it, and, and, and check it out. If you think that my language is too aggressive, look at, look at this one, Proverbs chapter 16. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And so it doesn't sound like God is playing games with pride. It sounds like if we're playing games with pride in God, the game is battleship and yours is about to get sunk. Like he doesn't play games with pride. He takes pride really seriously, 
Check it out. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. It says this. It says, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All of his thoughts are, there is no God. Let, let me unpack this for you. What this is saying is that the way that God looks at the person who is prideful is he looks at that person as a functional atheist. You see, prideful people, they become so puffed up in their own intellect, their own understanding, their own ethics, their own success, their own power, their own ability, that they get blinded by anything and, and everything that could be out there, and they just begin to believe that they're the best. And so prideful people go, man, there's probably no one better than me, so there's probably no God. God says that prideful people functionally live as atheists. It doesn't sound like he's playing games with it. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. Game over, right? When it comes to pride, God says it's game over. God doesn't play games to pr with pride. But if we're honest, we sort of do, don't we? Like pride is kind of one of those sins that we don't really make that big of a deal about. And so I've been pastoring for over 10 years now, and I can tell you this, I've had a lot of people come into my office, a lot of people book appointments with me to talk about sins, to try to get some counseling and some help and some advice and some wisdom. And um, I've never, I've, some people told me some crazy stuff, but I've never, never had somebody call me up, book an appointment, schedule it. We sit down and they go, hey, bro, I just need some help with my pride. Like, I just, man, I'm struggling with my pride. Like, I just can't get that thing in check. I'm just so awesome. Never have I had that. Like our care pastor, Jason Howard, like he's never had somebody like book an appointment with them and go, hey, like, you know, I've been struggling. You got a pill for pride. No, nobody thinks this way. Like we just kind of play games with pride and it's kind of there, but like we don't make a big deal about it. Like it's one of the sins that's really difficult to address and talk about in our culture because we're taught at a very early age to have pride, right? To have pride to be proud of our heritage, to be proud of where we've come from, to um, uh, have, have pride in our hard work. Um, we're we try to teach our kids to have this like self-esteem, right? And so it's difficult to even talk about pride as a sin because there tends to be this fine line between healthy self-esteem and pride, which is exactly what makes it so pervasive which is exactly what allows it to kind of wither its way into all of these areas of our life unseen. It, it causes itself, because we're kind of okay with it in certain forms, to creep its head and get into our life without even knowing that it's there. And so I wanna help you know whether or not you're prideful by playing a little game this morning. Um, how many of you guys remember the Jeff Foxworthy bit, you might be a redneck if? Y'all remember that, Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck if? Like, you might be a redneck if you've ever been in a custody battle over your hunting dog, right? You might be a redneck. You might be a redneck if you've ever made change in the Stone Creek offering plate, right? You might be a redneck. All right, we're gonna play a game. You might be prideful if. You might be prideful if. All right, you ready for this? You might be prideful if you mistake your reflection for Beyonce's. <laughs> you might be prideful if you name drop what professional sports star beat you by 40 in high school. You might be prideful. Just so y'all know, I played against Steph Curry in high school. <laughs> you might be prideful if you're a man who says, we just had a baby. We didn't have, we had something, but it wasn't a baby. She had a baby. 
Feels like you're taking too much credit. You might be prideful if you take 25 selfies in one sitting. Hate to break it to you, but after three, that's just what you look like. If when sitting in traffic, you say out loud, where are all these people going? You might be prideful. And finally, if you say, I'm really humble, you might be a little prideful. Right, there are areas of all of our life where pride has kind of creeped in, where pride has kind of taken over. Like if we're honest, we're all a little bit more prideful than we'd like to admit. We've all got a little bit bigger of an ego. We all kind of wrestle with this untamed insecurity that makes us think that we're a little bit better than others, but we don't really think about it, but it's kind of there all the time. You know, it's a lot like bad breath. You don't know you have it, but everyone else does. That's what pride is like. And, and it can take so many forms. It's very much like Maui from Moana. It's a shapeshifter, all right? I've been hanging out with a two-year-old a lot lately, y'all. Okay, if you've ever seen Moana, Maui can take all these different forms. He can be like a bird and then a bug and then like a whale. And pride can do the same thing. It can take all these different forms. At times, it shows up as arrogance and cockiness. It shows up as conceit, all-out narcissism, as selfishness and um, arrogance, right? That's how we usually think about pride when it's in its big form, its demonstrative form, its scary form. Like, that's, that's one form of pride. But there are all these other forms of pride, too. Like pride can show up as vanity, where um, you've just got like this obsession with how you look and you just really love mirrors. Like you'll use anything as a mirror, like a mirror or a window or a spoon just to like look at yourself, right? Because you're more obsessed with being admired by others than you are being admirable. It's vanity and it's pride. It, uh, pride can show up as um, like uh, blame shifting where it's always someone else's fault, it's always on them, it's, it's never mine to own. Pride can show up as neglecting other people, as, you, you know, looking, prideful people kind of look in and they go that there are certain people that the world deem is wor are worthy and those are the people that I deem are worthy and I look down on everybody else. You know, pride, pride can even show up as uh, being quiet. You see, like loud, obnoxious people like me, we always get kind of, you know, pigeonholed for being prideful people. But that's the game that we play with pride. You see, pride can show up when you're quiet because the reason that you may be being quiet is because you're so afraid that what you're going to say is going to sound stupid, which is this obsessive concern with you where you're so worried that, oh man, if I say that, I may come across as a failure or somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. And so you're so concerned with you where God has put something in your heart to contribute. He's given you a truth that he wants you to speak out in the world to transform, but you're, you're just quiet because you're so concerned what others think about you. You see, it's got all these other forms that are much different than just being arrogant and cocky. Pride can show up as in, in, in people who think that they're just horrible, okay? Like usually we just think about prideful people as people who think that they're awesome. But another form of pride, another shift of pride is the person who goes, you know, I've just done so much show. You don't know how much I messed up. You don't know my sin. You don't know my baggage. You don't know, like God could never use me, never love me. Never, I could never walk with God, never. Like I'm just, I'm so terrible. You know that that's just this reverse form of pride where you think you're the one person who's got the one issue that's too big for God. 
How great are you that you can sin better than the rest of us? Like, it's so tricky. It's so sneaky. It's so slippery the way that pride kind of cause, comes up in our life. The way that it just, man, it rises to the surface and rears its ugly head in all of these different ways. And pride is this obsession with self where it's all about your plans and your prerogative, your comfort and your convenience. Pride is where your desires are most important, where the way you do things is best and no one else know what, knows what's right. You always think that the other person needs to apologize or change. Pride is meism. Meism, where it's all about me and my wants and my needs and my desires. Pride is people who are desperate for attention. It shows up like that. People are just like, look at me. Look at my new house and my new car and my new clothes. Look at me. Desperate for attention. Pride has so many different forms. It comes in so many different shapes and sizes. And then pride shows up in fault finding where we filter out the bad in ourselves and filter out God's goodness in others. Like, if you are always critical, people are, why is she doing that? Why is she posting that? Mm -mm -mm. Do you think that that has more to do with your pride than their problem? We've got it. It's everywhere. It's in each and every one of us. And it's an extremely dangerous place to be to place yourself at the center of the universe. It's dangerous. Man, I was preparing for this message, and quite frankly, I hated it, right? Because around every corner, I just realized how freaking prideful I am, how it's literally just gotten its way in every crack, in every crevice of my life, the way that it's wedged itself in between relationships, the way that pride rears its head in my marriage and in my job and my friendships and in my dreams and the way that I talk to people and manage my time and parent my kid. It's everywhere. And it's got me searching for answers. Like, what do I do with this? Like, I thought I've dealt with this, but there it is, smack dab in front of me, looking me in the face, my pride. And, and I find myself like, how do I walk this tightrope of trying to be confident and walk in the victory of the Lord and not be prideful? Like, how do I do it? How do I be who God's created me to be but not come across as this arrogant know-it-all or this quiet, passive person who's so concerned with my reputation and how people think about me and whether or not I look like I've got it all together so I just play it safe and I just play it cool because I'm prideful. How do I not let pride hijack me sharing the gospel? How do I let pride not keep me from being concerned with my reputation and not being obsessed with Jesus and his reputation? If we're honest, we've all kind of played the game with pride. And we've acted like it's not a big deal and it's okay because we've just allowed it to masquerade as confidence. But what if we stopped playing games with pride? What if we needed to recognize that pride is poison? That pride causes just complete and utter devastation and destruction everywhere that you look. Like prideful people, if you play games with pride, I want you to know that you're building up walls of isolation Pride puts you in this prison of isolation because you're the best, right? You know what's best. You've got it all together. It's your way or the highway. And so you eventually are going to find yourself isolating yourself from everybody else if you, if you just keep being prideful. It's going to put you in this prison of unforgiveness. Pride is going to put you in a prison of unforgiveness. How dare they do that to me? Do they know who I am? And then you're just going to live in unforgiveness. It's going to put you in a prison of bitterness, prison of shame. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause you to dig ditches of disappointment. 
That's what pride will do. If you're prideful right now, I want you to know you're digging ditches of disappointment all around you. And one day you're going to step in that ditch of disappointment and your life is going to come unraveled at the seams. Why? Because when you're prideful, you think that everybody, that the world revolves around you, that everybody should worship you, think about you, honor you. You want to know what everybody else is thinking about? Them, not you. And so when you find out one day that you're not the center of the universe, you're going to step in that ditch of disappointment. Pride causes fractures in relationships, right? It causes distance to occur. People start to not want to be around you because you're all about you. Like, you, you're just every conversation, you're talking and talking and talking. And man, they would just love for you to stop talking. And so they just stop hanging out with you. Now, pride has this way, man, of literally just getting its way in and just causing devastation in our life. Like, pride, I don't know if you know this or not, but pride is going to multiply your anxiety, Pride is going to multiply your anxiety. It is, going to, it is going to cause your stress to multiply like you couldn't imagine. Like anybody like busy in the room? Anybody busy? All right, nobody wants to be prideful. Okay, all right, gotcha. Man, we're busy and we got a million things going on. And man, I talk, man I'm just stressed. I'm so overwhelmed. I have so much to do. Do you know what that stems from? Do you know why you feel that way? Because you're prideful. Because you've got this belief and I've got this belief that I can do it all, fix it all, make it all work, take every appointment on my calendar, say yes to everything, make sure that my kids look like superstars on Instagram. And it causes this stress because I've got this pride. It puts you in a prison. It holds you hostage. It keeps you from walking in the potential that Jesus wants for you to be experiencing Man, it causes anger and rage because you've got this high view of yourself and you can't believe how somebody would offend you. Man, it, it causes you to become insensitive to conviction like some of you guys right now, even you're like, no, nah, not nah, me, I'm not prideful. And it's because you're prideful. Like if right now you're thinking, man, I really wish this other person was here so that they could hear about how prideful they are, you might be prideful. And you might have grown in... Y'all laugh because all of y'all were thinking of somebody. And you may have grown insensitive to being able to see the sin that is deep within you and deep within me. And you know that your depression may be directly connected to your pride because it's all about you. You can't get your eyes off of you and what's happened to you and what you're dealing with and what you're going through and you're obsessed with you, which is pride. I get there's a fine balance between health there, but I want you to know that pride is hidden deep within there. It's everywhere. And so how do we do it, man? How do we walk in the confidence that God wants us to walk in as his kids but not fall victim to the ploys of pride? How do we step into our God-given potential but never step outside of our grace that he's given us to run? The answer is humility. It's humility, Okay, if pride is the prison that traps us, uh, humility is the key that sets us free. Pride poisons us, but humility is the thing that can heal our hearts. Check it out. First uh, Peter chapter five, verse five, it says this. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. I love that the Bible tells us that we've got to like put humility on. Like hear me say this. You ain't going to just wake up one day humble. You're not just going to trip and fall all of a sudden, oh, now I'm humble. Okay, that's not the way that it works. It's something you've got to actively put on, something that you've got to do and pursue. It says clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on. Let me talk to the single people in the room real quick. Um, raise your hand if you're single. Raise your hand if you're single. Okay, now look around. You're welcome. Okay, y'all can date later. 
That's hilarious. <laughs> All right, so if you're sitting on looking at me, well, let me just talk to you, okay? Like, I want for you, ladies, look at me. Look for a humble husband, okay? Husb- humble husbands make life-giving leaders. They do. Like, if you see a man and, like, he can't laugh at himself and everything else is always somebody else's fault, he can never take the blame, like, run, okay? Like, if you're out at a restaurant and a drink spills and he blames the server or gravity, run, okay? Run. Like, look for a humble husband. They make life-giving leaders. Ladies, let me put on humility, Okay? Dress yourself in humility. It is what we are looking for. Now, I'm not telling you don't be confident. Be confident. But it's that quiet confidence that's that's got us going, what's that? What's that? Oh, I just sprayed on a little humility. You know, like that's that's what we're looking for. We'll be like, girl, you lose some weight. You're like, nah, just humility, right? Just humility. Put on humility. It is so attractive. It is the thing that we should clothe ourselves in that makes us so enticing to the outside world. It says, clothe yourselves with all humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The games we play, I don't know about you, but in any game I play, I never want to be on an opposing side of God. I always want to be on his team. I always want to know his strategy. I always want to sit on his side of the table. If we're playing pickup and God's like against me, I'm, I don't want any part of it, right? I'm switching teams, switching sides, because God gives, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I love that it says that he gives grace to the humble. That, uh, like if you're, if you're a prideful person, you better be good enough to go against God. You better have good enough morality. You better have good enough success. You better have a good enough bank account. You better have a good enough plan for all of eternity to go against God. But if you are humble then God gives you enough grace to carry you through. If you're humble, God's gonna give you enough grace to carry you through, and I don't know about you, but I'm a grace addict, desperate for that, for that stuff. I need it all the time, don't know where I'd be without it. I'm a grace addict, and God gives grace to humble people. He gives it freely, enough to carry you through all your faults and all your insecurities. You see, it says that if we'll humble ourselves, if we cast all our anxieties, all our insecurities, all our fear, all our pretending, all the games that we're playing on Jesus, he'll lift us up, he'll exalt us. You know, it's so hard to cast our anxieties to be humble, to, to, to be vulnerable because when we don't know if the person cares, right? Like it's way easier for me to be humble or to be vulnerable with my wife than it is for me to be humble or vulnerable with you because I know that she cares about me. We're still like figuring our relationship out. Y'all laugh at my jokes sometimes, other times you don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're figuring each other, y'all didn't even laugh there. (laughs) And so it's easier for me to be vulnerable with her. And likewise, because God cares for us, we should be able to cast all our anxieties on him and pursue humility wholeheartedly. Like guys, I, I wrestled with this, like I so did. Like, being arrogant, being prideful, man, I would say that that's something that, like, marked my early 20s. And the thing about it is that it can be so painful. It can, it can cause such, like, an identity for how people see you that you can, you can flash forward years later and you're still dealing with it to, the, to this day, even if you've changed, even if you've shifted. So I, this is how prideful I used to be. Y'all aren't ready for it, okay? So I was on staff at this church, and we were playing pickup basketball, and I was playing pickup basketball with the senior pastor of this church. And um, I want y'all to know, church league basketball is no joke, okay? 
it is like dirty and like sinful and like it is bad, okay? And so we're playing uh, church league basketball and I'm probably talking trash because that's what I did and still do. And um, so I'm talking trash and I hit the game winner and the senior pastor of the church comes up to me and this is what he says. He goes, hey, I want you to know you're not as good as you think that you are. To which I responded, you know, you're probably right. I'm probably better. Like, that's how prideful I was, okay? And so then, like, man, I go on this long journey of trying to eradicate pride, get it out of me. And, man, when I run into people to this day, like, I can tell you I'm not that person anymore. But when I run into people who I used to run with back in that day, to this day, they still think of me as that same arrogant, cocky, prideful person. It becomes this thing that starts to shape your identity and determines how people view you. It's horrible, That's why Jesus so aggressively personified humility. You know, Jesus' whole character was the character of somebody who was humble. Like there's maybe no, no truer statement about Jesus than him being the personification of humility. There's nobody who's more humble than him. Like just think about his life. He associates with people who he shouldn't have, forgives people who rejected him, He offers kindness and grace to those who seem unworthy of it. He grew up in humble circumstances, was born in a manger, lived a humble life, was homeless throughout his ministry. He's the personification of humility. Like, I love it. In, um, in John 13, right before Jesus um, is about to be executed, he, uh, the night before he dies, he gets his disciples together. He cooks them dinner, and then he washes their feet. He's getting ready to go on the greatest suicide mission of all time, lay down his life to save these people who have rejected him, sinned against him, forgotten about him, belittled his name, made much of themselves, and yet he washes their feet and cooks them dinner. You flash forward to 2019, uh, before people on death row are about to be executed, we let them eat filet, mignon, and then take a shower. And yet, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, gets down on his hands and knees, humbles himself, lowers himself, and makes them dinner. He is the personification of humility. His spirit is one that is lowly and that is gentle, and he is called a humble servant. And it is that reason that he is elevated now so high. The reason that we elevate the name of Jesus above every name, the reason that he is now so exalted and worshiped and adored and should be made famous is because he got so low, lower than low, gave it all up, left heaven, its throne, its majesty, left behind his kingdom, came to earth, embraced death, and it's because he humbled himself that now we lift him up. We elevate his name, we exalt him. And this is the reason that he so aggressively lived and taught in the direction of humility because he knew that if you wanted to be exalted, then you had to get low. He says it in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, he says, for everyone who exalts himself, well, they'll be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, there is this insecurity within us that, that is actually what creates our pride. 
right? We've got this insecurity that thinks, man, I'm not loved. I'm not believed in. I don't have what it takes. I don't know what you think about me. And so I've got this insecurity. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on pride to make you think that I'm good so that you like me. And then we're good in the end, right? And so then the reason that we won't walk in humility is because we think that it's a place where there's no security. Well, if I'm humble and I let you see that I'm not great and I let you see my faults and I don't play it like I'm perfect and that I've got it all together and that my house is perfect and my kids are perfect and I I don't play humble, well, then you're not going to like me. And so there's no security in it. But nothing could be further from the truth. Some of the most insecure people I've ever met are the most prideful people I've ever met. And the reverse is true. Typically speaking, the most secure people I've ever met are the most humble people I've ever met. Like think about John the Baptist for a second, okay? John the Baptist, John the Baptist, man, that dude should walk with swagger in his step, okay? Like if anybody should be confident, it's him. He had street cred, his reputation was growing, people were loving him, they were trying to call him the Messiah, trying to lift him up, had this massive following. Even Jesus, about John the Baptist, he goes, there's nobody who's been born of woman who's greater than John the Baptist. Jesus gives John the Baptist props. And yet what does John the Baptist do? John the Baptist says this, he, being Jesus, must increase, but I, I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. It's not about me, it's not about my pride, it's not about, you know, how great I am or others seeing me, like, let me just get out of the way and just lift him up because this is the safest place to live. He was secure, so secure that he was willing to die, lay down his life to move the movement of Christianity forward, to give Jesus the glory that was due his name. He was so secure. I heard it said like this, like the most secure place that you could ever be in all of the world is on your face before God. On your face before God is the most secure place that you can be because I ain't never seen anybody fall when they're laying down on their face unless you're doing like downward dog or something and you're bad at yoga, right? But like it's a secure place to be on your face before God, to humble yourself and say, I need him. I can't do this without him. I'm desperate from him. I need his presence. Humility opens the door for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to show you who you need to be, to show you who God's growing you into, to to invite this dependence upon him so that he can work through your weakness. It's, It's through our lameness, through our dependency that God actually gets glory and works incredible things. So prideful people then have this insatiable need to be noticed But humble people, they notice needs. Their eyes are open to see how they can be the hands and feet of Jesus and step into being kingdom builders. It's the beauty of what humility does and creates within us. Now, this is the game that we play with pride that's so crazy, okay? When we meet prideful people, this is what we have a tendency to do. You meet a prideful person who's arrogant and who's cocky and who just seems like, man, they know everything. And what we have a tendency of doing is trying to cut that person down to size, like pointing out their weaknesses, pointing out their faults and their failures. And so it's like, oh, well, you're good at that, but you're not so good at that, or you're not as good at that as you think that you are. Story sound familiar from earlier, right? This is what we do. Like we try to cut down the person who's prideful. We try to make them feel insecure and bad about themselves and point out their blind spots. And then over here on this side with the person who maybe doesn't seem as secure, doesn't seem as confident or sure of themselves, maybe they've got some insecurities or some doubts about how good they are. We're like, oh girl, you're so beautiful. That dress don't make you look fat at all. It'll look good, right? Like you were created in the image of God. Like you ain't got nothing to worry about. You are awesome. We have this tendency of building up the person that's insecure. But the problem is that your eyes are still focused on you. And you, what you're focused on is what you're going to become. What you look at is what you're going to go towards. And so guess what? If you look at you and you're looking at all your bad stuff, you're just going to look more like you still. 
And if you're you and you look at all your good stuff, you're just gonna look more like you still. The only antidote to the poison of pride is drinking deep from the glory of God. The only antidote for the poison of pride is is drinking deep from the glory of God, of realizing that I've got to get my eyes on him and his glory and his name and his renown and his greatness and off of me. I've got to get it off of me. That's the only way that pride's going to eradicate. You need to stop trying to cut prideful people down to size. And you need to stop trying to tell insecure people about how great they are. You need to get their eyes on Jesus and his glory and his fame and his greatness. It's the only answer for your pride. It's the only way that pride is no longer gonna be a problem that you battle. This is why David is so passionate about the glory of God in the book of Psalms. Check it out, Psalm chapter eight. David says this, he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. David's going, when I look at the stars that God spoke into existence, when I look at the moon and the sun and the sky, when I look at the galaxies, all I can think is who am I? Who am I? What do I have to be prideful about? Why would you love me, choose me, forgive me, pursue me, who am I? Like nobody looks up at the stars in the sky and starts to like brag about their bench press. Right, like I've never heard anybody do that. I've never heard anybody like looking at the Milky Way and the moon and man, like, dude, I got up 225 yesterday. Nobody does that. Nobody looks at the innumerable amount of stars in the sky and goes, hey, let, let me tell you about how much money I have in a bank account. Who cares? Who cares? Nobody looks up at the stars in the sky and starts to brag about, you know, the fact that they've been on a diet for two weeks. Man, you were a glutton for the last 37 years, okay? What you talking about the last two weeks? And Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he created the Krispy Kreme donut you can't resist, okay? So what do you, what do you have to be prideful? And nobody looks up at the stars in the sky and starts to talk about their 6,000 square foot home. Nobody does that. Um, I would really encourage you to read Isaiah 40. Like, just read Isaiah 40, like, if you got time later on in the day, because Isaiah 40 paints this picture for, like, the glory of God that is just, like, man, I, w- I wish we had time to go there. It's insane. Like, one of my favorite parts is, like, it says um, that God, he, uh, he spreads out the heavens or the sky like a, a curtain or, like, a tent to dwell in. Translation, God goes camping in your universe. What you complain, what you brag about 6,000 square feet for? He camps in your universe. He's so much bigger than you, so much better than you. If you'll read Isaiah 40, it'll be like, man, who told the ocean to come this far? Did you do that? Or, or who defined how ethics work? Are you love? Like, is that the definition of your character, love? Is that who you are? Do you know all things from beginning to end? Are you the alpha, the omega, the creator of all that is? Did you speak stars into the sky and cause mountains to form from nothing? Did you come up with the duck-billed platypus? No, I don't think so. Right, this is God in all of his glory and all of his greatness. And the only answer for our crazy pride is to get our eyes on his beauty, on his fame, on his glory, on his greatness. I don't want you to feel bad about you, but I want for you to be obsessed with how good he is. I want, you, I want it to grab your attention and your affection so that you can see that you are not the point. The best thing that I could do for you is to help you see you are not the point that pride is going to kill you, but that Jesus, man, he will save you. 
One of my favorite pictures to look at of Jesus in the scriptures to try to eradicate my pride is found in Philippians. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. I wanna close today by reading this picture of Jesus because I truly believe that the only solution for pride is to get our eyes on him. Like the activity of humility is staring. The activity of humility is staring. It's about getting your eyes on Jesus and on his glory and on his fame and on his character. And so I just want us to stare. I want us to look to him, to see who he is, to see what he's like, to see how good he is and watch what it does to our pride. It says this, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the thing that I love about this picture of Jesus is that he knows that before he can rise like the roaring lion, that he's gotta, he's gotta kneel like the slaughtered lamb. That the reason that he is so great now is because he made himself so low. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. God, who created everything, sat on the throne of eternity, came to earth for our security, for our salvation, to have a relationship with us. And so now, the activity of humility is to look at him and just try to become who he is, try to imitate his life. And so humility is an action. It's something you gotta put on. So you wanna put on humility? Empty yourself. That's what Jesus did. Empty yourself. Empty yourself of your uh, perceptions. Empty yourself of your uh, improper convictions. Empty your bank account, how about? You wanna humble yourself? Empty your bank account on somebody else today. See what it does to your pride and your humility. Become a servant. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. The activity of humility is service, to serve others, care for others, love others. You've gotta intentionally do this, not to let people wait on you, but to pursue them and serve them. Now I love that it says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The activity of humility is embracing equality, that you're not better than anyone. You don't, you don't stick your nose up at anyone of any color, of any socioeconomic status, from any background, of any gender, of any type. It's this embracing of equality. But man, I, I, I think that it's so much more. It's, it's surrender, it's sacrifice, right? The activity of humility, sacrifice that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. Greatest act of humility that could be that is sacrifice. What do you need to sacrifice today to step into humility? But I think that maybe the greatest activity of humility is worship. It's worship. It's where humility has its end. 
that Jesus is now worshiped, that he worshiped his father and that now we worship Jesus. We give him the adoration and then the affection and the attention that he's so deserving of. And so the way that I wanna close out our service today is I just want us to worship. And so I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna come and with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna pray and ask God to give us the heart of David. I wanna ask the, to pray the same thing that David prayed, that God would search us and know our heart and see if there are any grievous way within us. God, would you reveal to us our pride today? Reveal to us our arrogance today. Reveal to us the places where we've made it all about us and we have failed to see that it is truly all about you. God, would you give us a glimpse of your glory today? God, a picture of your bigness today that overwhelms us. God, I pray that you would just help us to see that we, the reason we struggle with pride is because we made ourselves so big and you so small. But you are savior, you are author, you are maker, you are redeemer, you are Lord, you are king, you are God, you are father, and you are more than enough. And I pray today that we would lay everything down, every accomplishment, every talent, every gift, everything that we could boast in, let us lay it down so that you could be lifted up. Let us just get ourselves into a posture of lifting you up, of elevating your name, of giving you all the worship, all the adoration that you are worthy of. God, help it to eradicate our pride. I ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.